Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. It is 1 p.m. on the left coast, on the Pacific coast of the United States, on September 28, 2022. So as I mentioned a couple of times, I'm going to put out a scorecard of my own predictions as I go out on a limb at various times. And I'm not sure if I should be happy or sad about this. I think probably not too impressed. So far, I'm running at an even 50%. So four significant predictions and batting 500, to use a U.S. baseball metaphor. Hope to increase that, and perhaps we can put something on the site somewhere, on the Out on the Lip site that we're developing, that will actually list the scorecard or list the predictions and give myself evaluation. Again, it's all too easy to make predictions and not not be held to account for them, so I don't plan on doing that. Three topics today. Uh, The first is the obvious Fed hike. The second I'm going to call the beginning of the end of QT. And the third is the five current threats to the economy. Going back to the Fed hike, um, obviously there is a 75 basis point hike, and my prediction that the markets would take that in stride and even increase because of the the fact that the uncertainty was behind and as uh, as one of the, some of the folks on my team like like the phrase give me reality and we'll deal with it um, the markets actually got hammered both fiat and crypto and it really was uh, really was a surprise to me in one way because virtually everyone expected the action and then i started digging into what's changed over the years and i realized that I've been making a mistake, and a lot of people are making a mistake, by focusing on the number. Years ago, when the Fed first was uh, got actively involved in the in uh, the initial changes of the of interest rates, and it's been doing it for decades, obviously, actually more like a hundred years. But their the attention on it was has increased over the years, over the decades. The focus was always on the headline number because the headline number wasn't telegraphed in advance. And what the Fed would do was much more unpredictable. It was really after Paul Volcker was Fed chairman that the percentage increases would be not quite telegraphed, but more and more markets had a really good idea of what the change was going to be. And so they were priced in in advance as people front ran that information uh, as, as markets do and as markets should do. And what's happened and what, what I've missed, or this is what I'm blaming and I'm sticking to it, is I didn't spend enough attention, pay enough attention to the statement. And the statement that the Fed issued, they're actually quite short. I'm looking at it now. It's six paragraphs long, this one. And they don't change a lot from, or usually don't change a lot from, from uh, uh, interest rate change to interest rate change, or rather from meeting to meeting, rather, because the interest rate isn't always changed. And they're usually, it's only been a month or six weeks, so they'll tinker with the wording. Over time, there are significant evolutions, but from any meeting to another meeting, the changes are really quite small. And the statement here is that they, the committee decided to raise the target rate. So in other words, it, it moved the goalposts further out, and it said that it anticipates ongoing increases in the target range. And so what happened is that while the market was thinking, okay, 75 is probably the last big one, and now we may fee- see a few more, but they're going to be smaller, and which is also my assumption, 
the Fed comes out with something much more aggressive and basically says, this isn't the end. We could still be in the middle of the rate increase. So instead of folks looking at 25% in November, because there is no meeting in October, and 25%, or sorry, 50% in, in November, 25% in December, people are thinking, okay, we could have another 75% in November, 50 in December, and 25 in February. Again, because there's, there's no meeting. They're actually part of a meeting in January. We'll get to that in a second. So the, what's happened is that as the numbers get more, become more clear in advance, the text, which is not clear in advance, becomes more important. And here we had a, a relatively negative text. I don't think it really merited the plunge that happened, but it was certainly a bit of bad news. Now, the other thing is to look, if you look at both crypto markets and fiat markets, if it, if it wasn't a bit sad, it would have been hilarious because what happened as soon as the announcement came down, both markets went down because it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, an interest rate increase. So even though that was really plugged in, they had a significant 2 3% drop. And then the folks who had already priced this in jumped back in and boom, it shoots up higher than it was before this drop. And then, this is my theory, obviously, not investment advice, you can see what happens when people got to the Fed statement and then the markets plunged. I use 30-minute candles generally on, on the sort of, sort of analysis. And for the next hour and a half, markets just plunged, going down 6 7 8%, depending on which market you're looking at. So you could literally see the, the market react initially to the news, okay, interest rates are up. Then the, the wiser folks stepped in and said, yes, but we are expecting it. They recover. They more than recover. And then everybody has time to digest the statement. And basically, holy crap, things are actually uh, going to get a lot worse or are not going to get better anytime soon. So what happens is the Fed statement is, has become more important than it's ever been. And if the FOMC stops broadcasting what it's probably going to do, then the numbers will become more important again. Last point about the Fed, which is sort of interesting. So I took a look at the schedule because the obviously it doesn't meet every month. The Fed's not meeting in October. It, as a general rule, meets every six weeks. That's not exactly right because it won't meet in August regardless. And then the, the end of your holidays kick in. And so this year, for instance, there weren't meetings in February, April, August, and October. Next year, and I'm, I'm not sure there's any significance to this, but is truly a statistical anomaly, with FOMC schedules, meetings scheduled every six weeks, that means there are eight a year. So you think logically there are four months that are missed. Those are the four I just read for 2022. In 2023, strangely enough, there are only two months that are totally missed. Well, with eight meetings, how can you do that? And it surprised me as well. I started digging into it. The Fed meetings, as some of you may know, are two days long. And there are two meetings next year. And as near as I can tell, this is the first time it's ever happened. There, one meeting is January 31st and February 1st, and another meeting is October 31st and November 1st. So when you have two FOMCs that straddle a month end, in reality, you're going to have meetings, at least in part, during 10 months of next year. Again, I don't think this is going to have any, any real impact, but it's a sort of factoid that I find interesting. 
The second point is that this is indeed, notwithstanding what I just said a minute ago, the beginning of the end of quantitative tightening. Uh, the, the Fed can't continue forever. It's not going to continue forever. The 10-year rate just jumped over, uh, just moved over 4%, or I guess jumped is a fair point. The U.S. currency, the dollar, is killing other currencies. It's world records, never been this high against the uh, British pound, and the pound has recovered, but it actually got to $1.035 to the pound. It's now back up to almost $1.08, but more and more uh, everyone is thinking that, or analysts are thinking that uh, the pound is going to fall below parity, which is absolutely insane. Now we have Liz Trust to, sign, to thank for some of that, but the lion's share is due to the, the fact that the U.S. economy is, uh, or the, the, the Fed has raised interest rates faster than other than other uh, central banks. But we really, even if we see 75, 50, 25, it is absolutely crystal clear that we are going to, uh, that the interest rate increases will slow down. And we're looking at now between the most optimistic in case inflation suddenly improves markedly, 1% of additional increases, uh, the most pessimistic, and I'm not sure how much difference there is between pessimism and realism here, assuming inflation doesn't actually go up again, would be 1.5%. But in any event, 2022 is going to be the last of this sob story, with exception perhaps a little bit in the January-February meeting in, uh, of next year. And then we by then we should see inflation starting to drop. I don't think it's going to plunge. I think that's a bit, bit naive. But it's going to start a steady move down. The, just in the last week, $2 trillion of value have, has been cut out of the out of uh, stock markets. And the overall top to bottom, if you look at January of this year, uh, it's well over $10 trillion. You can't suck that much money out of an economy that's only $20 trillion in size. And granted, we're comparing different things here, capital versus, versus turnover, if you will. But nevertheless, it's a huge reduction in wealth. And much more importantly, it's a huge reduction in disposable wealth because you can sell stocks. You can't necessarily sell, sell a house. Housing prices are already are also slowing down. For the purpose of, purposes of inflation, though, rent pays, uh, plays a very big role. And if you look at the value or, or, or the cost of renting uh, a real estate, a house or an apartment in the United States, it's actually not going down that quickly. So you could see, and this happens periodically with inflation, that a single item in the inflation index causes the entire inflation index to hang up. We may or may not see that. It's something that uh, I'm, I'm, paying I'm going to pay a lot more attention to because housing is, so, is such a large component of the inflation index, and it's obviously an important component of, of every household's, uh, household's economy. So we are at the beginning of the end of QT which tells me basically the same thing I said last week. I think we might see one dip down yet, but then we're going to start to recover because markets look ahead, except in times of crisis, as we, uh, as we discussed uh, earlier. Now, then we have the last topic, which is sort of a, a handful, literally a handful, because it has five points. And that is uh, uh, something I've discussed in a lot of different fora, but I've never actually mentioned it during this podcast, and I think it's worth mentioning, and that is there are five current threats 
global macroeconomic threats to the world's economy today. And these, those are COVID, China, Russia, inflation slash interest rates, and the supply chain. And it's interesting because none of those are particularly new. Uh, inflation is newly recognized, let's say, relatively recently recognized. But all of those issues are two, roughly two years old, two and a half years old, with the exception of, of Russia. You could say that's either a lot older, going back to 2008 and 2014 with Luhansk, Donetsk, uh, Georgia, and, and uh, the uh, Crimea. But really the serious, the very serious issue obviously started on February 24th with a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Of the five that are, of the four of them that are older, uh, COVID, although Biden has declared that, declared victory essentially, uh, I, think it's, uh, I think it's clear that it's not, we certainly haven't defeated it, but we've got it under control. And it seems like COVID shots are gonna turn into essentially flu shots going forward. China is very interesting. It, it's absolutely fascinating to me what's going on with China, because first of all, you have Xi, who's about to become the only, uh, the only leader of China who is going to be uh, elected for three consecutive five-year terms, or three five-year terms, whether consecutive or not. And then you have the tremendous damage that the policy, uh, the zero COVID policy, has caused to China, and. That is reflected in uh, financial projections. China, by most projections, was, was to overtake the U.S. economy either in 2030, and so some of the more optimistic ones, or in 2035. And now China's growth for this year may well be less than growth in the U.S., certainly will not exceed it significantly. And so now suddenly you have a lot of economists saying China may never overtake uh, the United States. Um, I'm not sure whether it'll, it'll be bigger than the U.S. economy, nor, you know, we shouldn't get too, uh, too upset about if you're U.S. or too concerned, whatever, regardless of where you're from, who cares really if the Chinese economy is, is greater than the, is larger than the U.S. economy. It's, it's more psychological than anything else, or maybe purely psychological. And there are a lot of ways to measure the size of an economy. But nevertheless, the, the fact that China appears to be slowing down after just insanely consistent and rapid growth is, is very important macroeconomic news because China is a real driver of the world economy and of consumption. And Apple's announcement today that the, the iPhone 14 is not going to be manufactured in, in greater numbers than uh, prior, prior iPhones and previous uh, schedules for the summer, for instance, uh, they're not going, Apple's not going to increase its, its manufacture is uh, due entirely to China and due entirely to lower consumption in China. And given its importance in various markets and oil markets and other raw materials markets, it's a big country with lots of natural resources, or it doesn't have to be one of them, but it's a purchaser there. It, this has a huge impact. And now because of Ironically, because of the third issue, Russia invading Ukraine, the possibility of China invading Taiwan is making people think more than ever, uh, do we want to invest in China? Do we want to invest in Taiwan? And it's actually raised insurance rates for businesses in, in Taiwan, which uh, is, is, is probably generals fighting the last war, but nevertheless, uh, China has a very major impact on the world economy. Uh, Russia also, obviously, and 
I think it's difficult to underestimate the impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine has had on uh, the world economy. Everything from food, which wouldn't be the first order impact that you would expect, to oil and gas. And now that you've had sabotage on three uh, undersea uh, pipelines yesterday with a, a big question mark as to, as to who would benefit from such an event, um, there really is a lot of turmoil and tumult caused by the Russian invasion. The most recent figure I saw was that the GDP will suffer a $2.5 trillion loss because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I think that's a very difficult figure to estimate, and unfortunately it's not over, but the uh, it's clearly causing problems in the world economy. And we'll probably de- dedicate an Out on a Limb episode to just to the Russian invasion of Ukraine since I've got more than a bit of experience uh, in the place. The fourth issue is inflation. Interest rates are obviously flip sides of the of the same coin. I really addressed that with the Fed hike, so we'll skip over that one briefly. The last is the supply chain. And it's interesting because I've been digging around for measures of supply chain stress. That is, you hear about chip delays, stopping cars being manufactured, backed up ships or in various harbors from literally from Hong Kong and Singapore to to uh, LA and Long Beach. And I found two of them, which I'm going to dig into for a future broadcast. One is the Morgan Stanley Supply Chain Stress Index. Haven't found a lot of information on it, but I love the name and I hope I do. And the New York Fed, as some of you may know, the individual feds often launch specific statistics and the different feds have grabbed different areas of expertise. The New York Fed has the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. And you can look, you can see that on NewYorkFed.org. I'll be digging in that as well, and we may talk about that a little bit more in future podcasts. And with that, we have episode six of Out on a Limb. I hope you have a good day.